From Uniforms to Unicorns is sponsored by Brand 47 Coffee, which was founded by Holly and Alex, both first responders looking to create a sustainable business to pass on to their two sons with Down syndrome, Jax and Nico. Thinking about the future has always been in the forefront of their heads for their boys, creating meaningful employment and independence as adults. The only way to do that was to create it. Brand 47 Coffee Co. provides the most unique and fun-flavored coffee. Seriously, it is so good. Our Mine and Sharon's favorite is the Coco Loco. It's coconut-infused. It is to die for. All of their coffee is small batch and roasted to order. They are incredible people doing incredible things. Their vision is to keep the world caffeinated, to stay special, and be extra. You can find them at brand47coffee.com. Welcome to From Uniforms to Unicorns. This podcast is all about our experience as female corrections officers, our challenges, our triumphs, and our transitions out of the career. Lauren and I have always had a significant bond. Friends, moms, and business owners that happen to be in prison. Life attempted to separate us, but we always found a way back to each other. Through huge life milestones, tragedy, and random text messages saying, I thought of you today. We know there is huge curiosity surrounding these topics. And we aren't the only ones that struggle. There are also incredible stories just waiting to be shared. And we want this to be a safe place for us and you to talk about the often unspoken world of correction. Grab a coffee, head out on a walk, or just take a break. Let me warn you, we have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> From uniforms to unicorns. Hey, Lauren here. Just wanted to remind you that some of the things that Sharon and I and our guests talk about on this podcast can have adverse effects or bring on triggers for experiences that you have had in the past. So we just wanted to give you a little bit of a warning before you listen to any of the podcast episodes and say, take care of yourself. And thank you again for being here and listening. Hi, Sharon. Hi, Lauren. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Good. Here we are again. It feels like it was forever ago. We recorded the last one. And I mean, sorry to everyone who's been waiting because we've been waiting to release these. So, um, oh, well, it is what it is. Life happens. (laughs) Life happens. COVID, COVID. And well, Sharon and I were just talking before we got on here because we're like, yay, COVID's over. But now our whole lives have opened up. But you were just saying that you were a concert you were supposed to go to got canceled because of COVID. Yeah, got canceled. COVID? No, there is no COVID. <laughs> to the concert get canceled because of COVID. So apparently it's still here. So but my life has gotten busier. Yes, but, oh absolutely. Well. Okay. Well, anyways, today uh, we are here with Gary and Colette. I am so excited to have them. Um, we've been connecting over the last couple of years. We kind of do um, similar work in the first responder world. So um Hi guys, thanks for being here. Oh, hello. Hi. And happy awesome. birthday, Gary. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> I'm sure you hate the birthday announcements as much as my husband does. So I just threw oh, it in there for, for fun. For fun. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we have a husband and wife here that are gonna share a little bit of uh, both of their stories, what it's uh, been like for both of them through um, some things as first responders and first responder spouses. So um, 
uh, I'll get started with you, Gary, because you're, you're um, the police officer here. And we mostly want to know, why did you become a police officer? Was that something you always wanted to do or something that um, you just decided on a whim? <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, it, not, a, not a normal path to policing for me. I was uh, initially went to university to become a dentist. So oh, wow. really, yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was the big plan when I left high school was to become a dentist. And that's why I went into university and I took a bunch of classes. And cool. uh, after about year 0.75, so about three quarters through that first year, I uh, realized that this really wasn't what I was meant to do. I felt kind of like I was just spinning my wheels and it wasn't fun and I wasn't passing and I was partying lots and I was like, ah, oh, this is a waste of my time. And I, it wasn't my passion. And then I started to explore different avenues. And when I, when I came around to it, I did a bunch of career fairs and stuff and I landed on the EMS fire and policing. And uh, I, EMS scared me because I needed to go back to school for four more years. I didn't want to do that paramedic thing. Uh, and fire, well, I hate fire. So I thought that's a bad thing to hate fire. So I, I went towards the policing thing. So Process um, of elimination. That's right. <laughs> I mean, and in that moment, I didn't want to make the same mistake twice with going into something I didn't really want to do. So I started to do some ride-alongs and do a bunch of stuff for around Saskatoon and with the RCMP. And I really enjoyed the, my time in patrol car. And that was what really got me hooked on policing. And so that was became something I realized that was a big passion of mine and, and it really hit all the boxes. I was able to help people. It was a cool job. It was always different. There was, you know, it was a bunch of stuff that I needed to make myself feel fulfilled inside. Uh, it was a lot of driving. I loved to drive at the time. And so like driving around was really, really, that was really neat for me. And that was something that I really enjoyed. So uh, I'm like, yeah, this is what I want to do. And it, and it really did became, became about the people and, and serving that community and being able to serve in that way. And so, yeah, I applied to a bunch of services. Like you started with the RCMP. I did. I got deferred by the RCMP. Yeah. I applied to the RCMP, deferred me. And then uh, I applied to Edmonton, Calgary and Saskatoon and Regina and Moose Jaw and Halifax and Winnipeg and Toronto and Ottawa and Vancouver. And so I you was should like, share why you didn't get on with the RCMP. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I would like to know. <laughs> it's not what you're thinking. So, <laughs> I am Indigenous by heritage. So I have full status uh, uh, Native Canadian, I guess, in a way. Mm -hmm. And uh, my family comes from Newfoundland and I am unfortunately fair skinned with uh, kind of reddish hair. And Same as Trev and Trev's my husband's Métis. Yeah. Like uh, so, so like, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm just my full status and I have the status card to say I'm full status. And uh, you know, it's like, but my, my mom's very Irish and my mom, I look like my mom. RCMP said I don't meet the requirements as an Aboriginal person to, be, look out, to be employed by the RCMP. So they defer me because they didn't look Aboriginal. I didn't have wow. black hair and dark, darker skin. So Wow, that, that wouldn't fly these days. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they me. But it, you know what? It was really a blessing, I think, in disguise yeah. when I look at it. Um, I look at the RCMP and I admire each and every one of them that joined the RCMP because I believe they have a lot harder job than what I have in the city, even though we may see more higher volume of calls and we may see a different kind of 
level of things within the city because there's more of it because it's very concentrated. The RCMP are, are often left on their own out in the middle of nowhere to, to deal with things by themselves. And that is way harder, I think, than having backup 30 seconds to two minutes away. So yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I, I can totally agree with that. And, and that's exactly it. Like everything happens for a reason because I know uh, Trev was deferred by Calgary and that was like our mission to get to Calgary. And then when he got in with cameras, I'm like, okay, hey, we're going to cameras for a year and then we're out. Like I am not that's not where I want to live. And now I would never in a million years go to Calgary. Like mm-hmm. my kids, my kids roam around this place. Like they own it. They could go to any house in probably like five, five house radius and know the person that lives there. Right. Like I feel very fortunate that that worked out exactly how it was supposed to. So yeah, I can totally understand that. So you started with EPS. That was who you started with first, right? That you've been with EPS your whole career. Absolutely. They yeah. hired me in, at the time in the Aboriginal Development Program, and because I was 20 years old when I got when I applied here, and so I was pretty young, and I didn't know what I was doing really, um, and I didn't understand the culture really that well, and so they were concerned about my level of maturity and and stuff, and so they they hired me into that program. It was 30 weeks, and um, with no guarantees of being hired on at the end, I had to go through all the steps a bunch of times, uh, a bunch of testing and stuff throughout that 30 weeks that I was here. And um, inevitably, it came to the point where I got hired and, and I went to class in March of 99. Oh, so wow. I've, been police, I've been policing for just about 24 years. Uh, my whole adult life has been as a police officer, which is a unique perspective, I think, from any, if you look at anything, I just, I have nothing really to rely on. When I first joined the job, it was just whatever I could learn in class and glean from my time playing hockey. Uh, the rest of it, I had to learn on the fly. So um, it was a lot of learning. It was a lot of fun at the beginning. Um, I, I think I made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> I was, I was 20 or 21 years old. So I mean, what do you do? <laughs> yeah, crazy. It, and and uh, we do, I think it is getting, and probably in 1999, that was what they did. Right. I know you have to be significantly older with quite a bit more experience now to be higher life experience, right. Or not really. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it just depends on person. the person. I mean, I, I think that it really does like here in Edmonton, I know we're still hiring some younger people that are in their early twenties. And so I, I, one of the guys that that's in my squad, he got hired the same age I did 21 years old. And so, um, uh, you know, and he's actually moving to cameras here right away. He's moving over there. He's actually, he's there now. Yeah. Uh, he just left here. Oh, now. I know who you're talking about then. Yeah. So, so he's been here for nine years <laughs> and he's a good dude. And, and, uh, but he, he was 21, I think, or when he got hired, 22, when he got hired here. So I think it depends on the person and, and what they bring to the table. And I think it depends on what you decide to, how you show up in that moment. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, that, that whole, how determined are you to be hired? Because it didn't matter to me where I worked. And, and that was part of it for me as mm-hmm. I could have anywhere across Canada. It didn't matter. I just wanted to be a police officer. So Edmonton didn't hire me after that 30 weeks. It wouldn't matter to me. I used that 30 weeks to my advantage to then to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So I had that mentality already that it was just going to happen regardless. So, mm-hmm. cool. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, so you start in 1999, you work through EPS your entire life. Um, so I want to ask you, and I, I, I know part of this is, has there been an incident or has there been something that has affected you and your family um, through your 24 years of policing that has changed who you are and where you are now? For sure. 
uh, you know, the one incident that I'm going to, you know, it was kind of the tip of the iceberg was I was through an officer involved shooting in 2007. And uh, that was like that very tip of the stress level for me and all I could take. It really shut me down. Um, I mean, looking back on it, there was a couple of other incidences along the way uh, through my first seven or eight years that, that, you know, I unfortunately watched a young girl very close to my age, jump off a bridge and kill herself in front of me. Um, I've always had my finger bit off in a fight by a bad guy. Um, you know, I've seen my first, my first dead person was a 16 year old kid who shot himself with a shotgun. Uh, you know, there's all, all those things that sort of compile. And I had a, I went through, I was originally married and divorced. So all of that stuff kind of adds up and I never really dealt with any of it. I didn't know how to deal with it. I was so young. I was like, I was in my twenties. I, I didn't know mm-hmm. what I didn't know. And, um, you know, you, you keep saying you're okay. And that was the mantra. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. And you keep telling yourself you're good and you just keep pushing and you, know, the calls kept coming and, and then the shooting happened and we were uh, brand new parents, right? Aiden was like year and a, half. a year and a half old. And I wasn't prepared to be a parent. I don't think to begin with, <laughs> wasn't so bad. Who is, right? It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't in my mind, you know, and then we are, and then we're trying to deal with that. And, and, and really I wasn't communicating at home. And, and ultimately what happened was I just, uh, I shut down and I would come home from work and I would be disconnected. And I was angry at the world. I was angry at people. I was angry at my job. I was angry at a lot of stuff. But I couldn't, I didn't communicate any of that stuff. Um, I remember coming home after my shooting and, and um, I was dead tired. And I remember telling her that it was, it was a late night, right? I worked, I was supposed to get off at three o'clock in the morning. I didn't get home till eight, roughly. Um, and I walk in the door and I think you're still in bed. Yeah, I'm still in bed. Yeah. And I'm, I'm crawling into bed and she goes, oh, a long night. I go, yeah, I shot somebody last night. And I rolled over and went to sleep. And she just basically shut up in a bed and went, What? And I left her there kind of in the lurch and that was it. I didn't really talk much about it in that moment. And so, you know, and from then on, I just was just, I just wasn't present. Like I remember Aiden was trying to get my attention and he'd be like, dad, dad, dad. And I'd be like, wouldn't I be sitting there? And it's not like I'm ignoring him. I honestly didn't know he was there, but he was standing right beside me. Mm -hmm. I couldn't realize, physically say I wasn't present enough to see he was even there. You know, and that's when Colette really stepped in and, and, I think it went on for probably a year after that or so. And then maybe, maybe, I don't know. I don't know. It's kind of a blur. It's kind of a blur, but it, it went on for a while, long enough that she was fed up with it. And then, so during all of these major incidents, does the service do anything for you or do they just come to you and say, are you okay? And you say, I got this, I'm good. That's what it was for me back then. Yes. They it didn't was, have anything. They didn't have then. anything. There was no schism even. There was no support okay. for him. There was no support for the families. It was, he got read his rights. Yeah. He got sent yeah. home on mandatory leave yeah. and told not to talk to anybody. Yeah. Worst three days of my life. That was it. Seriously, the worst three days of my life. I couldn't talk to anybody. No phone calls. No phone calls. It was nothing. It was just. Because what happened, and if you're, and if you're really not in this world, you probably don't know. So what happens is, an investigation is started acer gets involved all of these other things happen and you're you're not your integrity your decision making all of that is put into 
question. This, yeah, in this container to say, did you do the right thing as, uh, and and we'll figure out if you did and we'll let you know, right? Kind of, <laughs> and and it, I, I think, and Sharon and I've talked about this, you know, numerous times where we've, and I mean, I'm not gonna say, I know that SISM's gotten better based on conversations that I've had with people. Um, but I remember at the jail, it was just like, you did this wrong, you did this wrong, you did this wrong. Bye, everybody. We'll let you know if there's an investigation once it goes up high. Yeah. And we're just like, oh my God. And we're all trying to corroborate the story so that if, it, you know, like, and, but we know in a traumatic experience, everybody sees things differently. They don't remember certain things. They don't, right? So, um, yeah, I can't even imagine uh, what that would have been like for both of you, right? To say, okay, don't talk to anybody. Uh, don't probably don't even tell Colette, right? Like, this is supposed to be. Yeah, they said you could talk to your wife, but they were like, make sure you write your statement out before you talk about it and get your details out. And it was interesting because it was before the time of ACER. So at the RCMP, we're called in from Red Deer to come and do the investigation. And so um, I had to wait at the station for like three hours before I talked to anybody, um, Mountie wise, and I'd already talked to the association. And, and I, I told them when they showed up, I said, look, I said, you're going to, you're going to ask me a bunch of questions, but I'm not going to answer any of them until I speak to a lawyer because I know my jeopardy here because of the fact that there was something that happened and you know there needs to be an investigation. And they were pretty pushy about getting the statement right away because the RCMP back then didn't have that. If you were involved in an incident, you had to give your statement in that moment. It was like an order, right? So it was just different times, different places, right? Different, And, and, and it was just, yeah, kind of crazy uh, around that whole thing, you know? And, and, you know, when I look back at it too, like, what really got me, I guess, was in those three days, I had time to reflect on that whole incident. And the first day, I think I got about two hours sleep, three hours, maybe I went and seen the lawyer, but I couldn't even remember what happened the day before. Like I was, my mind was just, didn't have the, just didn't have it. I just was right. Totally foggy. But when you started to question your ability, because you were, was, well, what happened was what we found out later was that the driver and the backseat passenger switched because the driver did get shot from by Gary but when they pulled him out of when they finally stopped him and pulled him out of the back seat the guy that was shot was the backseat guy and so Gary started to question his ability to have a good shot because he was aiming like he had to shoot the driver so he wouldn't run him over and so it he started like oh my goodness like maybe I can't shoot good. Like you start questioning your ability. Uh, so that was really hard on yeah. him. I remember that piece mm -hmm. until he was told that, oh no, in the high speed chase, they switched positions. The guy tried to crush me between his big 250 F-250 and my patrol car. And, and I wasn't that far away when I, when I shot at the driver, I only had time for one round and we chased him for 27 minutes. So I'm like, well, wow. How does that happen? Right. Cause I'm pretty sure I hit the driver, but I don't know. I don't know. I was just trying not to get crushed by this truck. Right. And then, yeah. And then someone at the, at the end, at the termination point mentioned that they pulled the guy that got shot out of the back seat. And then of course your head spins with like, well, how the fuck did I do that? Mm -hmm. I, I just, yeah, and then I was second guessing all of my tactics and everything I was trying to do in that moment, everything I did, I was in my brain, I was, I, I second guessed what I did. I mean, you know, did I do it right? Did I do it wrong? Is that something I shouldn't have done? You know, all that stuff. Right. And I, that was hard. And then of course the whole thought process around, well, what if, what if I was crushed? What if I was killed? What will I leave behind? How does that, and that starts to get in your mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Right. And that whole, like, I, you know, you have that imagination of being dead and then your family who's brand new trying to figure out being a parent and he even won't even know his dad. Yeah. That was rough. That's rough. Right. And, and it takes you from the, the professional side of things, which is hard enough to yeah. the personal side of things to say, holy shit, I was so close to dying. And then right? I thought about well, how I leave her behind. Now she's all on her own and all that stuff. Like, I got to be honest, like it was, it was, uh, the, your mind was, it's a hard, your mind is a weird thing and a funny thing and a great thing all at the same time. In that moment, it just spins and spins and spins. And, and then it's, then you come back to a little lesser. What, well, I could have been seriously injured where I could be in a wheelchair. I could have a totally life altering moment. Like I could, you have, so coming to terms with any of those scenarios, cause that could have all happened in that whole box I was in, in that moment. Right. So in a matter did, of like 10 seconds, like right? I, it was, it was yeah. even less than that. It was probably like four or five seconds. Yeah. Right. And it didn't happen. I'm very grateful for the way it played out. I'm very grateful for the, the way, the action that I took. And I'm grateful that I did what I believe I had to get done in that moment. And I know I saved my own life by doing what I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it still, it still weighs on your mind. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I can only imagine. Okay. Colette, you tell us about your experience with that. Cause I know you, um, of course, emotional, your husband comes home, says he shot someone, isn't, isn't going to talk about it. It's just going to go to bed. And you're like, pardon me. What yeah. do you mean? Um, well, I always say I'm, I'm a little unique. Um, I think most spouses would have had a different reaction, but because, um, I had went to school and I had wanted to become a police officer. I had more at the start, the reaction of tell me all the details, what happened? And it was like exciting for me. Uh, so a little bit of a different reaction than most people. And so at the time I was okay with it. Like I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. <laughs> right. I didn't look at the what, what ifs. Um, I just thought it was like cool. Cause I wanted to be a police officer. And then it really didn't hit me until like years later, um, when constable Dan Woodall died and was shot on duty because, just shortly after he, the funeral and everything we had, a my cousin was living with us and um, he left and didn't close the garage door. And Gary went to work on nights and I went to bed and I fell asleep. And at like midnight, the doorbell rang and I pop, remember popping up in bed and it went straight to well, who would be ringing my doorbell at 12, right? And and Constable Dan Woodall just died, right? He was killed. And I was like literally frozen in bed. And I was like, I didn't hear a doorbell. So I like laid back down and then the doorbell rang again and my dog was barking and I was like, oh my goodness. And so right away, that's when I went to the, the worst case scenario because of what just happened. And um, that's kind of when a lot of more emotions and things flooded in. And the way our house was, you could like peek over the ledge to see like out the door. And I had our blinds down so I could only see the feet. And I was like, if they're black boots, like, right? And it ended up being my neighbor because our garage door was open and we didn't have the, like a lot of them now you can just push the button, it'll go down, but needed the code. So she was just being a nice neighbor, letting us know that, 
our garage door was open. Um, but that's kind of when the seriousness and the, what could have happened came into play for me. So it was, it was years, quite a few years later for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it, it, when those things happen, right. And you're, you're kind of just getting the story from Gary and he's probably trying to downplay it because there's, there's so much at stake, right. And mental health, even in 2007, 2008, wasn't really talked about. It was like, okay, yeah. I'm physically ready to go back to work. I have no broken bones. Let's go. I'm good. I'm healed. Let's move yeah. on. Right. <laughs> So, so true. And I, I know that this experience took you guys down a different road. Um, so tell us a little bit about that, because you're doing some massive things in this first responder space. So um, tell us all about those things. <laughs> yeah, well, in a nutshell, I mean, it was years of, I think we were kind of struggling and didn't even know it. And um, like Gary said, it got to a breaking point where I was so frustrated with the lack of communication and the lack of being present at home from Gary that um, I basically like I threw him a book to read the five love languages. And I was like, you have to read this. Yeah. You know what it was is that I, I wasn't, I gotta be honest, I was not supportive in any way, shape or form. I was doing the, all the things that I thought would make me feel better. Drinking. So I was drinking. I was partying hanging with, the hanging with the squad. I would really, you're right. And I wasn't here when I needed to be, I don't think at times. And I left her holding a lot of bags. Um, and it's disappointing to, for me to say that out loud uh, because it's sad, right? Because I should never do that. In a, in a relationship, in a partnership, we shouldn't do that because you got to do it together. It has to be together. And, and, and you need to be solid together to have a foundation, right? And I wasn't, I wasn't part of that. And then I brought home tulips one morning. I don't know, I'm sure why I brought home tulips, but I, I brought home I came tulips. back from Saskatoon. So oh, that's right. Just- being a nice husband. I was trying to be nice and I bought <laughs> these tulips, right? Um and I hated tulips at uh, the time. At the moment, I guess call it hated tulips, as she had described <laughs> her displeasure for tulips. And <laughs> and and he clearly didn't listen. And I didn't me. listen to that she didn't like tulips. And so all she got from the whole giving of the tulips was you never fucking listen to me, you don't pay attention to me, right? Instead of looking at it from my perspective, saying, I just want to do something nice for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't seen that way because of all the other stuff that we have just not dealt with in from seven, eight, nine or 10 or whatever it was. Yeah. yeah. Those years there. It was and, my breaking point. And, and that was kind of her tipping point. So I was already broken. And then mm-hmm. she's like, fuck, I had enough. Yeah. And then she's Which happens people. lots, right? Like there's, yeah. this happens a lot in this world of, okay, I'm not okay from here, but I'm also, I'm, it's all going to bleed into this because we know that it does. It comes home with us despite saying that it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she says, and, and we don't get better till we want to get better. We don't get better until, right? So like, I don't call yeah, until yeah. you're ready, right? And this is something that's really cool is like, Colette, I know, because I know your story. Colette was like, I'm doing this. Yeah. Either you're in for the ride or you're out of here. To sur- of thing, and it's, right? survi- it's survival, right? <laughs> yeah. It's survival and the tulips represent you never listen. You don't listen and you never listen. And he's like, what? I'm really nice though, right? <laughs> yeah. is, it, is it? Didn't I read that gifts is your Aren't love I? language? Yeah. No? What? <laughs> okay, uh, keep going. Yeah. 
so yeah, he had a choice at that moment to read the book or not, right? I have lots of friends who've given their husbands the five love language book and they haven't read it, read it, and now they're divorced. Um, so yeah, he read it. And at that time is when I, you know, I was starting um, a young living business and I, you know, headed down to Calgary for a convention and it was really, before you get game, get there, like Colette was always in a self-improvement. She always, I love personal development. She loves personal development. Always love personal development. She's always trying to do better. And so even when I was in the shittiest spot doing all the shit I was doing, she was threatened. She was getting better. And what I didn't realize was there was a gap growing between her and I that, you know, and and she was going to go down that road regardless. She was taking that, like you said, she was taking the train and either I'm grabbing the caboose or I'm not, right? The train's mm-hmm. going to leave the station here pretty soon. Either you get on or get off. And so she always did that. So that was something. And she, by the time she got into the like, Young Living, she was already really accelerating down that road. And I was just being left behind. Yeah. So, yeah. So then I uh, was introduced to something called ULA. And it's really when your life is balanced and growing in seven key areas, which is fitness, finance, family, field, faith, friends, and fun loved the concept of it, loved the two guys who started it, Dr. Dave Braun and Dr. Troy Amdahl, and kind of latched onto it and came home from this conference and was like, you know, there there has to be something more out there. And I just kind of felt like I was lost and didn't know what to do. I had a photography business as well at the time and knew it wasn't fulfilling me. And then a couple months later, just saw on social media that they were having this Ula Palooza in Texas. And I looked at Gary and I said, I'm going to sell all my photography equipment, close my business. And we're going to Texas for this Ula Palooza. And he was like, pardon? <laughs> yeah. And he was like, okay. And he had been with me long enough to know that when I had a plan or an idea, he, he best just go along with it. Cause I was doing it anyways. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we sold everything with closed down the photography business and went down to the Ula Palooza. And that was probably our first um, life-changing transformation, if you want to call it. And it was two days of working on us individually and, you know, had a lot of aha moments and eye openers and just viewing life differently. Yeah. And I think, you know, I look back on that, like that was the, the big catalyst moment. I think there was for a, you, yeah. for me, like, and I look back, I read, I had read a lot of books, like in between the time of the love language book. And I was reading like a thing called the secret. I read the uh, bring about what you think about by Eddie Lemoyne and all these books that you, that I was reading, trying to change that mindset around how do I heal? How do I get my mind better? Cause my mind always, you know, that's where I needed to work. Do all my work was inside of here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how do I become more present? So I worked on gratitude quite a bit at the very beginning. It was just gratitude is where it started for me. And I just started on that. And then when we hit the Ula Palooza, it was like opening up an entire new, like, I guess I was in that, maybe in that space or in that, he was ready. I was ready maybe in that yeah. moment, right. Yeah. To really accept what was being presented in that moment. Call it told you you were ready, but then you. She never said that, you, you know, she just said you have to come. She never said I had to participate. Yeah, yeah, right. right? I just had to show up, right? So in my brain, I'm like, oh, well, look, I get a trip to Texas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And if it and sucks, that's that. And our, our, mine and Colette's stories are very similar because I went to something similar that opened up the door for me, yeah. and like it was like, well, if it sucks, I'll just leave, right? That was kind of, that was kind of my mentality. If it sucks, there's a spa in the Bounce Springs Hotel, and I'll just go do that. And I mean, it didn't suck. Um, so yeah, it's 
and you have to be ready to receive it. But I know tons of people that have, I continue to do it and I know you guys do too, right? But I know tons of people that have gone to it three or four times that really don't actually do the work until the fifth mm-hmm. or sixth time, right? They, something, yes. some a different seed is planted and something changes, right? So. Yeah. So we did that. And then from there, it really led us to, um, I ended up working with getting paired with a coach, um, business coach here in Edmonton, Stacey Berger, started working with her and that just opened up a whole new floodgate of possibilities and mindset and how important mindset is. And, you know, I went to her for business and really what happened was, so much more. Um, and I didn't even end up going down the, the continue down the young living path. I mean, I still use the oils and stuff, but I didn't make a business out of it and, uh, really started asking like what I would love and what we would love. Mm-hmm. And we still work with her to this day. We still go to Ula Palooza's every year. Those are the two, probably the two people that have really changed our lives is yeah. the Ula guys and, and Stacey Berger. Yeah. And, from there, yeah, we were started growing together. He started catching up a bit, <laughs> and uh, we're yeah. we both feel we're at the you know the same place now. Yep. And you yeah, know, back in 2018, we had a discussion. We sat around and we were talking about what we would love to do and what does it look like for us moving forward. And well, at the time, we didn't know even in had, 2018, but we, we knew really know. We knew we wanted to help people live a better life and we wanted to help them live like an ULA life because it is a lifestyle. And at that moment was when there was two suicides back to back in the Edmonton fire and rescue. And he was first on call at one of them and he came home. You know, what struck me about that call was the family pictures on the wall Mm. because they look like a normal, happy, everyday first responder family that you would Mm -hmm. see at work every moment that really hit home for me it was really difficult and when he came home uh, he was still working but he came home for just a quick break and he he basically he was he was quite upset and I just looked at him and I said how is it that you can go have gone through 22 years or whatever year it was at the time and seen all the shit you've seen and be okay how can you do that and not others? Like, why are we having so many deaths by suicide? Yes. Like, yeah. this is ridiculous. And so literally that night, we sent a, uh, got a hold of a friend who did up a business proposal for us. And we sent um, the ULA guys a business proposal to teach ULA to first responders because at the time, like, they're the only ones that teach it. They have it trademarked and licensed and copyrighted. And they granted us permission um, to teach it to first responders. So that's kind of how it started. And then we got asked to speak at a few few places. Our first speaking gig was 500 people. Uh, So that was the first time Gary shared his story. And it kind of unfolded from there and led to our company now, which is Benoit Wellness Consulting. And we launched the Frontline Resiliency Project. So that is where we are today. <laughs> and, it, and it's doing big things. Like you guys have a golf tournament coming up at the end of August. And yep. so the golf tournament is really to, I'm going to, I'm going to mess it up. So you tell us what the golf tournament is. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, so yeah, people, some people get confused a little bit. So the Benoit Wellness Consulting, the, the, the Frontline Resiliency Project is an umbrella under Benoit Wellness Consulting. So Benoit Wellness Consulting, that is where we're both life coaches. We both coach people um, through the ULA program. Um, we also help people, Gary's certified with, um, as a financial coach and a financial agent. So we help people with finance and it's all about creating that balance in your life. Right. Just trying to take your life and say, what do I love? How do I want to organize it and look at it from a, a holistic perspective, right from my fitness, right down to my friends and the fun I have, right? Your faith's in there, your finance, your everything. finances in there, your field pieces in there, you know, your family pieces in there. And, and, and so there's a lot to, to the, th- the thought process around it. But if you can found, if you can make that a foundation, if you can make it strong enough and, and you can be invested enough in what you have there then you can weather any storm that comes your way, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So that's that side of it. And I do do some, uh, you know, business consulting and helping business owners bring some balance and less stress to their lives. And then the Frontline Resiliency Project, that is really, um, we really wanted to create a community of people. We really believe that through events and we can heal and, and with community, right? So through events, we heal Uh, through community and connection amongst the first responder world and not just police, not just corrections, all of us together. Because as much as some people think everybody, like each profession is different, we truly believe that we're all the same. And and even then it doesn't matter. We can heal with non-first responders. We can heal with first responders. It has really no bearing what you do. And the FLRP piece incorporates the families. Yes. The families, the spouses, the kids, the, you know, that is so key because when we have a shitty day at work, doesn't matter who you are, if you're a nurse, a doctor, a fireman, corrections, dispatcher, doesn't matter what you do. So when you come home, that's when you come home, you come to your family. Cause that's supposed to be your sanctuary, that place of healing and help and, and support. And if you don't have a supportive home, if you're coming home to something that's a disaster yep. and it's a disaster, then there's nothing but disaster, right? Yeah. So disaster in your finances, disaster in yeah. planning right. any sort of fun disaster, right? Like, yeah, it, it really is. Um, and you know, I, I, I know for me that that carried over into my, my personal life very significantly. Um, and even to this day, I, I still go, okay. Okay. Laura, is this like, is this something that is going to be like a whole family (laughs) event or is this something here that we're going to talk about really quickly, get it off your chest and then move on. Right. Because they do have the potential to, um, creating chaos in, in both areas of your life. Right. Even, even though I'm not a first responder anymore. Um, there's, yeah, it's, it's hard to separate the two, no matter what you do, but when you do something that is very service to people, um, and stuff like that, there is, the lines are blurred quite a bit. Right. So, yeah. The golf tournament is just so yeah. So our events up. through the Frontline Resiliency Project, um, we host a golf tournament we want to do yearly. So our second annual one, annual one is August twenty fourth at Cougar Creek, um, and it's for all like anyone who supports frontline workers in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, it will be a fundraiser for the frontline. Um, 
I just had a blank. Resiliency fund, community fund. Community fund. So we developed a community front, a fund, community fund. Oh, I'm stumbling today. And it's really um, a fund for first responders and their families to access, um, to use the money for healing, um, for services forms. that aren't covered by yeah. traditional benefits. Right. So our traditional right. benefits, especially with EPS, is psychology, psychology, and more psychology. Right. Mm -hmm. That is amazing. Psychologists help so many people. But there's some people who don't maybe want to work with a psychologist or who've had a bad experience or who've had trauma from a psychologist. And they want to explore other holistic ways like Reiki or equine therapy or, mm -hmm. you know, there's so many different things out there and we don't have benefits for that. And so right. this fund is there for people to access uh, life coaches, you know, grief recovery specialists. None of that is covered under benefits. So and they can access this fund to start their healing process yeah. or to continue their healing process. And really, ultimately, by accessing the that fun really they can um you know a lot of financial stuff is always pressures financially it doesn't matter who you are or where you are what you how much money you make there's always fi uh, financial pressures i think and when you start looking at well how do i heal myself because i never I never went to a doctor I, I didn't personally go to the doctor i never been diagnosed i look back at all oh, i look at all the symptoms of ptsd and i'm like oh yeah like i hit about just about all those that's right <laughs> um but like and i was never that was never given that label right i was never said this is what you have um, but a lot of that was because I was determined to try to do things on my own. A lot of it was because it was a financial thing for me. I'm like, Hey, how can I do this on my own without, cause I, I know what I get here benefit wise. And if it mm -hmm. runs out then what, then I got to pay for on my, out of my pocket. Well, how can I do this without doing that? Right. And so I think that's why the fund is so, is so important to us is to have a place where they can come and access and they can even start something or do something different, try something new, try something that's unique to help yeah. them, you know, to, 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 to relax and recover. And that's the, the golf tournament's yeah. focus is, is around putting money, money back into that community fund. And then to hopefully then create a community that wants to come to our gala. Well, and to other events. <laughs> and other right? events. So yeah. Uh, yeah, our gala, October 29th, and it's an award ceremony to honor and celebrate first responders. Um, and we are raising funds then for, um, uh, service dog through OSI can. So that will be where the funding goes there through the Canadian mental health. And See. yeah, and we do other things. We have conscious connections. The next one's next Wednesday, uh, June 8th at caffeine. And so we have those a few times a year, like four, four to four times this year. They're in, they're in Edmonton. I'm sure yes, they're in Edmonton. from them being, yeah. <laughs> from Gary yeah. being UPS, but yeah, caffeinated is in Edmonton. Do you still yeah. are you still offering it as an online thing, or it's still just person? We just yeah, in person. I mean, if there's somebody who does, we can set up Zoom and have them yeah. stream in. But um, ideally, we want that you know the in person connection. But it's so much better. It's so much mm -hmm. better, right? Mm -hmm. Like you yeah. really do build those relationships and those connections when you. It, it's also, it's funny how you talk about stories and similar stories and that mm. kind of stuff. Really, like it doesn't matter if you're a fireman or a policeman or corrections or wherever you're at, you start talking about those stories about where you're at and why you're at where you're at. You realize there's a lot of similar themes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like all of that, absolutely. Right? Which so can't that, really happen on Zoom because no, you have a speaker right. and you have, right? And yeah. yeah, so then it's like, okay, bye everybody. And yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> Yeah. I, don't, I don't know how that went so there you go but yeah, yeah.
So, yeah. And then, I mean, going back to that original question of, you know, why is he where he's at in his life and others aren't? And we really found that, you know, it's, you have to, you have to take action, right? Yeah. Like you have to, like you said, you have to be in the right place to accept the information, um, but you have to take the action steps. You can't just sit here and be like, oh, everything's just going to be hunky-dory and work out and positive thinking. And yes, positive thinking is great, but it's what you do, right? You have to take the action. You have to take the action to heal. You have to take the action to work on your relationship. You have to take the action to work on yourself, your finance, anything. It's action. Yeah. You have to do something. So. Yes. Yeah. It's, that's probably the biggest thing is that that's what the ULA thing really taught me is is that yes, we did a lot of assessment, right? It's like uh, you become aware of what's happening, you're aware of why you're you're at. You got to acknowledge it, you got to accept the fact that okay, I made a lot of mistakes, and I am okay. I, I, that is what it is now. I've done this. I accept yeah. this. I'm aware of it now. I'm aware of what behaviors I was doing. Now, how do I change it? Well, the action step is what do I do to change that behavior? And if you take those action steps every day, and you're going to make mistakes. I'm not perfect. She's not perfect. We make mistakes every fucking day. Well, <laughs> I know I'm not perfect. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I'm just saying. Be. But I'm just saying, take those steps and yeah, you're going to fall down. You're going to have bad days. I'm not saying that our days, that the last three or four years have been 100% perfect. We're going to have, everybody has bad days. It doesn't matter. But it's what you do after that bad day. It's or how fast you're in that bad moment. How, you know, mm-hmm. now our bad days don't last a day. They only last a short period of time because you're you're always taking those steps and you're coming back to gratitude and your vision, your what vision, you what you would love. Mm-hmm. And, things and giving yourself permission to have those bad days too yeah. is yeah. so key, right? Because it's like, hey, this is a bad day. I'm just going to, tomorrow's a new day yeah. or, or new day. next week is a new week. Yeah. Maybe you give yourself four days to have right. a, yeah, a bad couple of days. And then by Friday, I have decided I'm going to be back at her and yeah, right. allowing yourself to do that is key. And where you're at in your healing process too, will determine how long those moments last. Right? Absolutely. At the very beginning, the bad days were a lot more and more frequent, but at the end here now where I'm at, I still have them, but I don't get affected by them nearly as much. And that's, like I say, that is to, to go back to like the visioning and the gratitude and the, all the things that we've done and set for ourselves and, and why we're doing something. I understand why deeply. And, and really, you know, I, I tapped into a lot of things called, you know, love is one of those things, loves and love and caring and gratitude for, for the relationship. Like there's a lot that she offers that I can't do without her. Like I really can't, like she, she, she does do a lot of stuff. And then I really appreciate everything she does. And it helps my business. It helps our business. It helps uh, the family. And, and mm-hmm. so, and others around and us. Others around you us have a really. ripple effect, right? When you work on yourself and you're living this amazing life, people see it and they're like, Hey, what are they doing? Right. Yeah, and it, right? it's not like keeping up with the Joneses. Joneses. I wouldn't look at it like that. It's no. inspire people. Because it's not, it's not like, oh, they got a new trailer, so I want a new trailer. Right. It's like, yeah. <laughs> what are they doing that they don't have a new trailer, but they're so happy to be alive? Yes. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's quite it is quite amazing because you you do see those things in, uh, and if you're conscious of them, right? And we know we have like that awareness piece of like, oh, because if someone's doing really bad or it's in a different space or like. 
fuck Gary and Colette. They're always like, they, they really, right. They're and but you repel those people. It's the people yes. that, you know, start to say like, okay, I want to heal. And I see them like doing really well. Like, what did they do? How did they get started? And I know for me, I did this kind of same thing. It was like, I saw other people um, who had left or who were starting to talk about things on social media. Like I'm grateful for social media in those aspects. I don't love it in others, but it's like, <laughs> okay, wow. Okay. They left and they're doing really good. That's, that's what I want to do. Right. So yeah. Okay. Well, I, 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 I always love talking to you guys. You know, that. Yeah, this um, is amazing. So that was so, <laughs> it was so great to see you and get to share everything with everybody. And um, yeah, we love your story. Love everything about you guys and uh, excited to see what's coming. I can't go to the golf tournament, but I have very in big, bold letters put in the gala. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We're in a hockey thing in Calgary. As soon as you sent that email, I was like, ah, you didn't kill me. I promised her I was coming next year. (laughs) That's okay. There'll be another one. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well, thanks again, guys. Thank you guys so much. And we'll put all their information and everything in the show notes so you can get a hold of them and find out more about what they do. So thanks guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Well, that's all for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. You can find us on Instagram at From Uniforms to Unicorns uh, on all podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Speaker, all of those. Also, feel free to subscribe. You'll be notified of new episodes that come out and we always love a review. Also, feel free to share with anybody you would enjoy. We also want to send a big thank you to Jamie Green for being our podcast editor and to Jeff Bale at Third Hell Music for our soundtrack. Thanks again, everyone. Have a great day. Love, Lauren and Sharon.